and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source in the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Has anyone else read that Calvin Hobbes strip? I really love that Calvin Hobbes strip where he asks those questions and he says, I'm Calvin. I came from my room and I'm going outside. See you later. It's just wonderful. That's way too long of an intro. So let's get to our panelists. Besides me, Richard Littower. Hello, everyone. We have on the show today, the illustrious Alyssa Wright. Nice to see you all. We have the inimitable Justin Dorfman. I don't know what that means, but hi. And we have the inexorable guest, Jory Burson. Jory is calling today from Somerville, Massachusetts. She is the community director, I believe I got that right, at OpenJS, newly, which is fantastic. Jory, how are you today? I am super because it happens that today is my birthday. So it is. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thanks. Wow. I couldn't think of anything better than to talk to some friends about open source and sustainability on my birthday. It means a lot, actually. I want to make a sarcastic, snippy comment, but I'm too moved. Sorry, uh, you're at OpenJS. What is the OpenJS Foundation? So the OpenJS Foundation is a nonprofit organization that is home to 37 different projects in the open source JavaScript ecosystem. We have really big projects like AMP and Electron and Node. And then we have a whole bunch of tools and services that people use all the time, like Grunt and WebHint and WebDriver and Mocha and a whole bunch of ones. I want to list them all so they all know that I love all of them. And then we have smaller packages and things that are nearing the end of their life cycle. And those are projects like, like PEP, which actually we recently retired, some jQuery related projects and stuff like that. When you say we're a home, what does home mean? Oh, home. What does home mean? So existential. In terms of the projects, what it means is that we've become the host for these projects in terms of their IP assurances and clearances, trademarks, etc. But we also do a lot of programming for maintainers. So we look at ways that we can this is my mandate anyway, to make their lives a bit easier, make it easier to be an open source maintainer. So we do projects and programs for the community, things like travel assistance, scholarship, security support, infrastructure support, all kinds of different things. To me, it seems recently anyway, there's a rash of organizations like this. So there's the Linux Foundation, there's CNCF, there's the Software Conservancy, and the OSI has a project. There's a lot of like umbrella organizations. Mm -hmm. Besides JavaScript, what does everything in OpenJS have in common? Or a better question is, why was it formed? What is it formed to do? For a lot of people, it may seem like, oh, this is a new thing. And the reality is it's actually a very old organization. It's just, it's been rebranded a few times. So initially, way back in the day, in like 2010-ish, the jQuery project got to a state where it was of a sufficient size and impact on the, on the ecosystem. And there were enough people getting involved and enough folks consuming it and contributing to it and that sort of thing that they decided to move their operations into an open source foundation. And so for just a hot second, it was part of the Software Freedom Conservancy. And then it spun out into its own foundation, the jQuery Foundation. And from there, jQuery and its related projects, which include jQuery Mobile, QUnit, Sizzle, going to forget the uh, jQuery UI and PEP, they were together in the jQuery Foundation. 
and then rebranded into the JS Foundation as additional projects started to come on board, which included like Grunt and that sort of thing. That also happened at the same time when the Dojo Foundation, which was in a similar situation, the Dojo project had gotten to a sufficient size that they felt that a foundation to own and maintain their operations was necessary. They merged with the jQuery Foundation and that became the JS Foundation and a whole bunch of projects came at that point. Then that was in 2015-ish, 2014-2015. And then in 2000 and 2017 or 2018 now, the Node Foundation and the JS Foundation merged to bring the Node project in and that became the OpenJS Foundation. So anyway. Thank you for that short history of the dynasties of Egypt. That was just <laughs> yeah. fascinating. I was going to say, it sounds now, like a torrid affair and there should now be. Now you are all movie. asleep. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it was it great. Was, that was so I'm much. Surprised. I'm surprised. Yeah, it's crazy how you did that all from your head because. As I said before the call, we're kind of connected in a way because in 2013, the company I was working for at the time, MaxCDN, became the default CDN for the jQuery project. So yeah, so Chris Borchers and I would hang out a lot and we actually went to the Linux Foundation, even though they're a completely distributed company, even though they're remote only, they do have a little presence in San Francisco at like a Lucas Arts campus. So I went there with Chris to talk about getting the jQuery Foundation into the Linux Foundation. So that was really cool. So when I saw you coming on, I was like, oh my God, we're like kind of connected. Yeah. So, and I think something that's interesting, yeah, the, so the Linux Foundation provides uh, a lot of services and support to the OpenJS Foundation. We're definitely one of their supported organizations, but OpenJS is incorporated on its own, and we use the Linux Foundation for a lot of excellent resources. And that's been a good, really good partnership and has been really great. It seems from that story that you've been involved in this open JavaScript world for a while. I'm wondering a little bit of your own history and how you got into these dynasties. Yeah, so just super quick. In 20. 12, 2011, 2012, I joined a, a company based in Boston called Moku. Prior, I'd been teaching journalism students how to internet at Oklahoma State University. And they hired me on to do training, JavaScript training, jQuery training, that kind of thing, because we had several prolific web developers there at the company and we wanted to do some great educational resources. So I came on to do that and learned how much I still needed to learn about JavaScript. And that was amazing. So, but in that process, I learned a lot more about how the software sausage that I had been using as a student and as a teacher, how that was made. And it totally fascinated me. It totally blew my mind because like there was this day that I came in and Boaz or Rick or somebody was like, oh, we're going to have the TC39 meeting here next week. Can you take care of that and go to the meeting, make sure they have everything and da, da, da. I was like, sure. What is that? <laughs> like, sure. So they came and it was maybe 20 some odd folks showed up and there was a very passionate discussion, I think about fat arrows and we left and they left the next day or two. And I was sort of just reflecting on what was going on. And I thought, 
So what happens next? And Rick was like, well, we're going to agree on this and then it's going to, it'll make it into the spec. And that's that. And I was like, so there's no adult that's going to come say, yes, I agree. You can, I was still thinking of myself as like a kid, right? No, like Tim Berners-Lee isn't going to come or Brendan Ike isn't going to come and say, all right, you can do it that way. Like I was thinking, it just blew my mind that there was like that consensus of that population of people. That's that subgroup of people was going to make a choice that affected everybody. And I thought, really, this is what happens. And so at that point, from that point on, I just became very obsessed with understanding how those decisions got made and how people work together in a group to reach technical decisions and sort of how to make the human interoperability component of our technical interoperability discussions more effective. And that's how I got involved. So is this what you do now at OpenJS? I mean, you mentioned earlier sunsetting a project or deprecating it. Is this the kind of work you do as a community director there? Yeah, I certainly put a strong emphasis on this. I think at the end of the day, our job in these software foundations and standards developing organizations is to help people quickly and effectively get to areas of agreement and get that done and communicated and considered by everyone, by the populations that depend on them. So, so that those folks have input into the process as well. And so there's no surprises. Surprises are bad. Boring is good. And so I think about that a lot. And it may be that I'm thinking about that through the lens of like this small standards working group project or some deprecation of a program that some community wants to do or, but that's typically how I think about it. So there's an old saying in cards that if there's no sucker in the room, you're it. And you just mentioned that there was no adult in the room. And it, it sounds <laughs> to me like that person is you. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not sure that's the case. Well, but. you're doing stuff and you're thinking about how these projects grow and how to deal with difficult people and how to make sure that there's no surprises, which is a very adulty job. Now, I want to switch tack a tiny bit here because this podcast is called Sustain. And it's Mm. rare that we actually focus on that, weirdly. And so what I want to ask is, as part of your role and as part of OpenJS's remit, what are you doing to make sure that the projects you have a longer life cycle and that the work that they do is sustainable in Mm -hmm. the long term? So first, let me say out loud that I am not convinced that the objective of any project should be to stick around as long as possible because there are certainly projects that have an end game. And then once that end game is reached, they like think of all the polyfills and things like that on the web. They really, yeah, by definition though, they shouldn't stick around. And hopefully what we want is for that project to serve its purpose. And then ideally, whatever gap that polyfill was filling becomes part of another project or it becomes baked into the web platform. And then we need to figure out how to support communities moving or projects or things that have been relying on that polyfill to move off of them and now move on to the more sustainable things. I think that sitting, making the objective to have a long lived project isn't it. I think the objective is to help the project understand. What is its scope? What is its end game? And how can it effectively move through different life cycles of startup phase, of growth phases, of sustained phases or maintenance phases? And then perhaps in some cases, 
deprecation because it's time to set that down. So what does the foundation do? I mean, there have been a handful of projects that I've helped to move from one phase to the next. And I'm thinking of not to like, I don't want to name anything because I wouldn't want to call people out exactly, but there's a project that's very useful. It's in third world countries and applications right now. It's an offline project that the maintainers were ready to move on. They had other things that they were personally doing. And as a result, that were taking their attention. As a result, the work on that project was stalling, even though certain members of that community felt that there were things that could be done to move it forward. So these maintainers would have ordinarily just deprecated the project and said, okay, well, if you want it, fork it and carry on. But instead, because it was part of the foundation, we were able to find and support new maintainers who could and did have the energy to drive that forward and how it's really, it's really thriving. It actually won an award from the Open UK last year. So you're not only doing adulting, but you're also palliative care for a lot of projects, right? How do we have an end cycle and or how do we move on to the next phase? That's really awesome. You mentioned polyfills. I want to use the word pony fills, but I'm not sure why. Polyfills are everywhere. And it's any like developers on any front end knows it's just a thing you have to learn about at some point, but that's not really a problem, right? You just go onto Mozilla's doc site and just look it up and then it's there and it's over with. Now, sure, you probably know what my next question is. What is your role with MDN? So MDN is... So it's a Mozilla developer network. I was going to say it's like my little Bible, right? But and then I thought, should I use a religious term of reference? But anyway, point being, it's yes. Fine. So I could not imagine working on the web without MDN. And in, I guess it was like 2016 or 2017, through my employment at Boku, I was asked to serve on the product advisory board for MDN, which was just, and folks may or may not know that MDN... It obviously has been around for quite some time. It contains content that's been written by some technical writers and, and full-time staff at Mozilla, but also from developers all over the world. Many communities have been maintaining localized versions and of the content to make it more useful for more people. And also several other organizations that contributed their own docs, for example, Microsoft and Google both brought in documentation because what doesn't serve is to have multiple places on the web where somebody goes and, oh, let me go see how this works in a Microsoft browser. Let me go see how this works in a Google browser. It's sort of very onerous. We don't want that. We want one place to really serve as that user manual for all of these web specs. And that's MDN. So how did I get involved with that? Yeah, that's how. I would say it's like the defect when it comes to web it's, development. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I go to that site. I'm not sure I can share how many people go to that site every month, but it's just a very large number. That's an extremely large number of people. And so I'm really proud to work on making MDN better. MDN was going to shut down, wasn't it? I mean, didn't Mozilla <laughs> kind of axe it? So they didn't Exit. What did happen was, and this has been documented, they did make the decision to restructure the organization and let some people go, unfortunately. And so that unfortunately also included the majority of all but one of the technical writers for MDN. And that we saw, the product advisory board saw as a really 
bad thing for in terms of making sure that MDN stayed fresh and useful and relevant for web developers. And so we, as a group, mobilized pretty quickly to see what we could do about it. And, and something to notice, there's a lot of people on the product advisory board from different organizations, Google and Microsoft being one, but also Coil and Agelia and Samsung and the W3C and Boku. So lots of orgs that are able to you know, support MDN and their team as needed. And so what we decided to do was find a solution and that's what we did. We found, I think, a polyfill for MDN. <laughs> oh, I love that. Do you think like W3 schools should be a sponsor? Don't they like lift a bunch of content from MDN? I couldn't tell you what W3C schools is doing. I tried to get some drama going, but. But I think you said, Justin, that shouldn't they be a sponsor? I like to think in my understanding of open web docs, everybody should be a partner and a sponsor because this is such important work for us to be doing and doing collectively. But that's my party line. That's mine as well. (laughs) So what is the future of MDN? I honestly couldn't tell you if I could tell you what I would love for it to be. MDN is an asset that is operated and owned by Mozilla. Now the content is open source and now it's been moved off of the wiki to GitHub, which is awesome. It means that we at Open Web Docs and we, the community, can support MDN and help keep that content up to date and fresh because it's much easier to um, access and edit on GitHub. And that's something that we would love to see. We think, and Mozilla agrees, Holy, that the content is everyone's content. So let's work together. And you may not know as we're with Open Web Docs, what we've done is fund four full-time tech writing positions. And two of those are filled now by a couple of the writers from MDN who left in August. So we've retained that institutional knowledge and that support for particularly components like the browser compat data and and the JavaScript docs and that kind of thing. And and we're able to help keep that ball rolling and keep that work moving forward. And I should say too, that our mandate is currently focused on MDN, but it may be that maybe there's a world where MDN becomes a wholly open source project where it's something that folks from Mozilla and, and everywhere are maintaining all aspects of it, or perhaps it always stays with Mozilla. I can't tell you, but our open web docs mandate is about supporting web platform documentation as digital infrastructure in the same way that we would imagine web standards or other tooling and things that developers need. We take documentation as seriously. And so if there's another open source documentation need open web docs wants to help fill it so do you see in the future maybe mdn redirecting some of the stale content over to open web docs or am i completely like missing the point so right now what we're doing is working very closely with mdn and there's some contractors and product people and that sort of thing to build out a shared 
roadmap of priorities and things like that need to happen to make MDN maximally useful and even better than it is today, catching up on stuff that may have kind of languished a little bit and making sure that the process for community contributions, which is now brand new, it's interesting and kind of unfortunate that this process of moving the content off of the wiki to GitHub has been a multi-year sort of project. And that was started when the imagination is, oh, we're going to have a full content team to manage that change. But then with the staffing changes in August, suddenly you go from that full team down to a single person on the content side. And then you're moving the community over to GitHub. Well, there's a lot of community support that goes with that. And so that's one of the things that we're really trying to help fill as well so that we're taking advantage of the interest and the will, goodwill of the community to like make sure things are actually improving for them and these docs are staying fresh and that kind of thing. So if there's something that you notice on MDN that seems stale or out of date or could use a freshening up, you can go to the content repo and file an issue that gets placed on one of our prioritization boards. And we go through and we make sure like, oh, okay, cool. This is great. We can either do that ourselves or we can find a person in the community now and action that out. So it gets done. You mentioned earlier wholly open source document. And I misheard that with my tiny little brain. And so I was imagining of an actual holy document that you're all working on, which would be NDN, right? It's the cathedral of open source. It's this thing that everyone has to go to and pray at. So a sacred text. When a sacred text, holy. exactly. Yeah, that, that Swiss, was what I was going not for. A Swiss cheese text. Oh, that's what I, I just heard. I was thinking of food. No, <laughs> I, I was thinking straight out cathedrals and priests and all sorts of things. And then I started going back to our conversation. I remember the 20 people in the room in Boku in Boston. Mm -hmm. Sounds a lot like a, you know, smoke filled rooms in a Tammany Hall like election thing. Ooh. And then right there, you said, we can find someone to do the docs. It sounds like a mob. Like, how are you fighting <laughs> issues of centralization? It sounds like the antithesis of open source is what you're doing at OpenJS. The question that I'm asking from Richard's comment is, what is the balance and maybe the like most powerful partnership between these centralizing forces and these other entities, these other projects, these other contributors that are more distributed? Like, how do we relate with one another in like powerful ways in order to sustain open source? So it's true that you always need some convening point. And at the most basic level, that's a Git repository. And that's where things converge and people start to decide, yes, I'm here for this or no, I am not here for this. I want to do something different. What's happening with the foundations is up several levels from that, but it's sort of like a similar idea. I sometimes think about it as like an atom where inside the nuclei and the little bits are like moving super fast and turning at a faster rate. And then like the outside turns a little bit slower. And then the group of atoms turns over even slower than that. And so it's like, I'm visualizing like a ball where the inside moves really fast and like the next outer layers, they, they move a little slower. 
but even still at some level, you've got like this convening point where, or a layer that has to decide where people have to be able to meet and decide something like, oh, we're going to turn this way or we're going to turn that way. And for the web docs and for the foundation, the idea is if some big decisions of strategy have to be made, let's make sure that they are at least made among the broadest pool of people who want to be involved at that level and that they're made openly and transparently. And that's sort of the very least we can do because for a person to sit down and get involved and to say, okay, well, the first thing you need to understand and agree with is the seven or eight layers of strategic decision making that brought us to this question, which is X. It's like to understand JavaScript, you have to understand the whole universe is maybe too much. So how can we, and at what point is it appropriate to break those layers down so people can like not have to recreate the whole world? (laughs) That's great. And I love that. And I, I like the vision of a converging point of a marketplace, of a forum, of an agora where people can meet together and work to build things or the pigeons on the agora. You're helping guide the flock as it moves around. Maybe that's a bad metaphor. Adams, birds. I don't know. It always happens to me. But I have so many more questions to ask, so much more to talk about, but we do have a time limit on this podcast. So we do have to start wrapping up. Jory, what are you most excited about going forward at OpenJS? Okay, so we have several different programs that we have started. One is the JS Landia program, which is for individuals to get super involved in the foundation in a way that being a member-driven organization, a lot of times people think, oh, well, I have to be Google or I have to be at Microsoft or I have to be at one of these places to participate. But with our individuals program there, we have a lot of things we want to do and to help sort of foster individual participation. And that's one that I'm super jazzed about. Another is the work that the standards working group are doing, which to me, you know, one of the most important things we can be doing is helping to build bridges across multiple communities so that more people are talking together. More people are sort of like going, oh, cool, this is how they do it in Python. That's rad. We should follow their lead or, oh, we can help this other community like at the W3C kind of work more effectively on open source. Let's go do that. And so building those bridges is something that the standards working group is doing. And we have several different projects identified and I'm very much excited about about those. And then just getting to work more closely with the maintainers who I adore. And I really do feel like my mandate is to help make their lives easier. If I do nothing else, but make their day a little better every day, that'd be great. That's good. That's winning. Winning. Love it. Winning. Uh, where can people, <laughs> where can people follow winning. you on Twitter, Google blogs, smoke signals? Where are you on the internet? I accept carrier pigeon and, and also tweets. I'm at jory.com on all of the things. I'm not on TikTok yet, or what's the one that everybody's on about that's like, you Clubhouse. Can, Clubhouse. I'm not on Clubhouse yet. Yeah. I think I, I want to give it a try, though. Oh, listeners, everyone go campjory.com. It's J O R Y at all of the platforms. Thank you so much. But because you are also a resident of the greater Boston area, I want to make sure that we hear your spotlight. 
Spotlight is the part of the show where we talk about oh. projects or people. Well, I love the accent thing. Come on. Yeah. D- d- um, let's let's just take a moment for so listeners. Make sure that we we caught the spot spotlight. I can't do spotlight. it. Spotlight. What? I'm not saying it weird at all. Spotlight, where spotlight. we talk about cool projects that have really helped us out. Things that need light. We're all about giving back here, and this is just a small praise we can do. It also is really nice, although it's hard to think of things on your 70th podcast. But I will continue to try. So. Justin Dorfman, what is your spotlight today? This week, I have to give props to in a spotlight to Buffer.com. I know they're a company and they're not an open source project, but they've been making my life a lot easier lately with all this social stuff I have to take care of for Carry Fence. So yeah, shout out to Buffer. Alyssa Wright? I'm still working on saying spotlight. Did Did I do it right? Close, close. It's good enough. Well, I already announced that Definite Spotlight is Jury's birthday. I think we should all <laughs> celebrate. <birthday>. Yeah. <laughs> celebrate all of our moments of success, both in life and love and the real things that count in life this, during this year specifically. And I would say another spotlight that I'm excited about. There's increased like interest uh, among the open source foundations and fiscal hosts that I take part of to make stuff together, not just like find shared places of speaking and alignment, but also to really like work together in tangible ways. And I don't know um, if it means that we're changing as organizations or a reflection of the times that we live in, but I'm really inspired by how we are building. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about is A handful of us are looking to build video materials. I would say they're as much educational materials as they are accessible marketing materials, talking about the role that foundations and nonprofits and fiscal hosts can serve like and be a partner for open source projects. So to spotlight, I apologize. But I think that this move towards building things together that not necessarily just code, but building things together to support these ecosystems is really powerful for me. So if you're interested in taking part in the video that we're building around like the value of open source kind of fiscal partnership, foundation partnership, please reach out. Thank you. My spotlight today is the Boston JavaScript community of 2016. They are, no, really like, so I was looking at Somerville JS, which is a repo I started for a, a meetup that we had there at Aeronaut. Pretty sure, Jory, you were there. But I was just looking at the people yeah. who liked the repo. And Jim Kang, Arius Stewart, Leo Balter, Gregor Martinez, Boaz Sender, Ashley Dubs, amazing people that made me feel welcome and included. And JavaScript was a place I wanted to hang out. And so I'm just giving a shout out to those giants of friendship and how great they were and the code they wrote. Thank you. Jory. What is your spotlight? That's gold. That's a gold spotlight, Richard. I just got to say that. Good <laughs> times. So I have three people. So I have a million people that I want to spotlight. But right now I'm going to spotlight three. One is Chris Mills, who is the senior tech writer lead at MDN and who has really made just wonderful work. And he just works so hard. And we all read Chris's work every day and you can't really cannot understate how important he is and you may not know him but you read him he means a lot to me and so chris mills is one dominique hazel from the w3c is 
an all-star to me. Dom works with the W3C developer team, and he does a lot of support for our web standards communities, but also supports a lot of the efforts kind of in the open source space around that. So like the web platform tests, and he's also been really active in the on MDN for a while as well. I think Dom is just a treasure, a treasure of a human being. And again, somebody who makes your life a little better, but you who you may not know. And then the last person that I want to thank is Mahal from the jQuery team. Mahal is another person that you don't know it, but he's, if you're using jQuery or one of those websites that you built back in like 2012 is still using jQuery. The fact that it still works is thanks to Mahal and a lot of his like infrastructure work. And and I just have to shout all of those people out. Yeah, like 70% of the web still runs on jQuery, I believe. It'd be very bad if MDN went down. It'd be very bad if jQuery went down. It'd be very bad if W3C went down. And the fact that all of those things are up is thanks to Chris Mills, Dom, and Maha. Thank you all. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Jory, thank you so much. And more than anything else, happy freaking birthday. I hope <laughs> yeah. you enjoy the heck out of it. Thank and you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. 